The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I am happy to step in here for a few minutes and share some thoughts and ideas about resilience. Uh, Reverend Josh and I have been uh, working on a three-week series that he started last week brilliantly about uh, the resilient spirit of our country and talked a lot about the history of our country and gave us great hope and opportunities for rising up. And indeed, that is what resilience is all about. It's the ability to rise up out of challenge or rise up into a new idea and be strong and resilient and claim our deepest truth in the process. And so he started last week to down. I'm going to talk about this concept, and the next week he and I are going to share four ideas for resilient living, so I hope you'll be with us ne next week also. Today we're talking about a concept in our teaching that I think, when we put it into practice, can bring us great resilience. Neil Donald Walsh spoke of it, our music has, has spoken of it, Dr. Patty prayed about it. It is a concept that, if you break it down, isn't much different than what we talk about pretty much every week when we come together or in every class or event or activity here at Mile High Church, but it's an important one. And it has to do with a concept that our founder, Ernest Holmes, created called spiritual self-reliance. Today I want to talk about developing spiritual self-reliance. Now that concept, self-reliance, might seem rather familiar to many of you, especially if you've studied uh, Ernest Holmes and our teaching, because the wonderful author and transcendentalist and speaker, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who penned a number of amazing essays back in the day. Indeed, he was alive from 1803 to 1882 and wrote most of his most profound work in the mid-1800s and uh, wrote a lot about slavery. He has a whole book of essays about how he was against slavery and how slavery was against the notion of the spiritual teachings and wrote all sorts of essays to empower people. And his most famous essay, one could say or argue, is his essay on self-reliance. In this essay, Emerson argues things that we talk about pretty powerfully and prevalently here in this day and age. It has to do, self-reliance, he says, has to do with the willingness and the ability to rely upon ourself, not our small self, ego self, fear-based self, but upon the deepened self that we are at the core of our being to guide us, the self that we could call the higher self, the self that we could call the authentic self. And this essay was a call to people to stand up for what they believed in, to stand up for their own truths, to speak their words and be authentic, their authentic self. And it also talked a lot about nonconformity and about how much people were working so hard in his mind in society, American society at that time, to conform to standards of properness and ideas that made, made them inauthentic. And he talked about being so self-reliant that we even were willing to, to throw out uh, concepts about consistency, that if you were in your 20s and you stood boldly for something and then as you grew and evolved, you, you stood something for something else to surrender those old ideas and be authentic, even though you might appear to those outside of you to be inconsistent. He valued that we could grow and evolve and change our minds. And indeed, he said, consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. He wanted to encourage people to grow and evolve. 
In his essay, he says, I must be myself. I cannot break myself any longer for you or you. If you can love me for what I am, we shall be happier. If you cannot, I will still seek to deserve that you should. I must be myself. And so this is a huge part of Emerson's work. Now, our founder, Ernest Holmes, became a big fan of Emerson. In fact, in his bios, we hear often that, that he was at uh, one of his siblings' homes and he saw the, the collection of essays on a coffee table and he picked it up and he began to read it and it changed his life because it spoke of concepts. All these essays spoke of concepts that Ernest Holmes' own soul had been formulating and considering in his own spiritual awakening. And he would later say that for him, reading Emerson was like drinking water, that it sustained him and fortified him and uplifted him in profound ways. So I suspect, given that Holmes was such a fan of Emerson's, it's not too surprising that he would develop a concept, a key concept that he wrote about and spoke about occasionally, not often, but occasionally, especially in his early years, that included the, the phrase self-reliance. But he added a word to it, spiritual self-reliance, probably is an indication of, of clarification that we're talking about the higher self, as I was saying earlier. And Ernest Holmes also came up with some steps that we could take to be more spiritually self-reliant. For those of you who are familiar with this teaching, I'm going to guess that in a minute when I share these steps with you, they're going to sound pretty familiar. In fact, I would guess although there's no evidence, but I would guess that the formulation of these steps contributed greatly to the later formulation of our steps of prayer. We have a prayer process here, an affirmative prayer process we, called, we call spiritual mind treatment or prayer treatment, and there are five steps in our process. And for those of you who are familiar with those five steps, just notice that the first two steps of spiritual self-reliance are very akin to the first two steps of spiritual mind treatment. So here they are. The first step, he says, to gain spiritual self-reliance is awareness of the presence of God. Awareness of of the presence of God, the willingness to be a person who consciously sees and experiences and looks for the presence of God in everything and everyone and everywhere, that that is our spiritual true north. That is where we stand. That is where we live. That is, that is the nature of this universe that God is. And so cultivating that awareness is the first step in spiritual self-realization. The second step, he would say to us, is faith in the spiritual self. Faith in the spiritual self, which is an important step for those of us who are living on this planet. Sometimes we are tempted to have faith in the unworthiness of ourself or faith that we're not enough or that we're not good enough or that we can't do things or we can't accomplish what we want or we can't see the world in a better place. And he would say that the second step of this is to have faith in the spiritual self to recognize that this presence, this God that is everywhere is so present that we are that which it is. We are an expression of it. We are God made manifest. 
We are the love and the light and the wholeness and the peace and the abundance that God is. And it takes a conscious awareness to claim these two key truths. And so for me, these two steps are very much like recognition in prayer and unification in prayer. Very familiar and very empowering. The third step, he says to us, is to establish a, com a, a, a continued communication. I'd stumbled over that word communication because I want to say communion because he talks about communion, daily communion with the divine, daily communion in the divine, daily communion and recognizing this. This, this difference between the first two steps and that second step is the difference between someone who, who I think uh, kind of banters around with this teaching, a little bit here, a little bit there, and maybe it's almost like a hobby versus someone who lives this teaching. Someone who lives this teaching, this practice, from this place, is endeavoring every day of their life, in every relationship, in every activity, in every condition, in everything that's going on in the world, to practice these three steps. Because these are steps that empower and give us spiritual self-reliance and therefore make us more resilient. Make us more resilient. And I wanted to compare and contrast the strength of this, this concept, with some of the things that have been going on for us and the challenges that we're facing in our world today. Certainly, we've articulated time and time again in the recent weeks the, the challenges that just keep coming and showing up and the communications that keep coming and showing up. And the challenge is how do I find and be resilient through the potential uh, subjects and conversations that could take me into separation? How do I stand strong in the midst of divisiveness? Divisiveness in many realms. We've got that the COVID-19 experience that's keeping us literally separated from people we love and from each other and separated in ideas about how to deal with it and how to be with it. We, we recently have been experiencing evolution in our racial relations and how we are with people of color in our world and we've seen conversations that can divide us and now we're, we've entered into and we've been in it for a long time a very heated political season where we're seeing people take sides like crazy and here's what I would say the challenge with this is that that separation is weakness it's not resilience we will not go, grow stronger in our individual lives or in our culture, our world, or our spiritual life through perpetuating separation. And this can be really challenging because there's a very fine line that exists between self-realization and separation, isn't there? I, I said realization. <laughs> so, so, that's not what I meant. Self-reliance and separation. And it is also realization because that fine line is when I start to have spiritual self-realization or self-realization and begin to understand my stands and what I believe in and what I think is true, I think that when we're coming from the deepest place within us, that place looks like here's where I stand, I hear where you stand, totally respect that you can have a differing viewpoint and we can still be one. 
And my whole attitude and energy allows me to feel connected to you, even in the places we disagree. Whereas absolute separation, that line is, here's where I stand, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong, you're bad, you're horrible, you're off base, I'm going to judge you, I'm going to attack you in my mind at the very least, and even with my words or on social media. There's a fine line there, and many people confuse these two places and think that sometimes when they're practicing this place of of judgment and disconnect, that they're actually practicing self-reliance, because after all, they're being themselves and they're being authentic to themselves. But in the realm of spiritual connectedness and spiritual truth, we always have to examine the places where we're willing to shut people out, make people wrong, where our hearts are broken or broken open and we're unwilling to reestablish that connectedness. Because in that moment, we are practicing separation and we will never feel happy. We will never feel strong. We will not evolve as quickly the more we persist in practicing separation. And so with all of these issues in the world, all of the issues that any one of us might be facing in our own lives, in pursuing our dreams or dealing with challenges, the truest, most resilient place for us is in the true center of spiritual self-reliance. Can I see God in this? Can I find God in this? Where can I find connection and still maintain my own sense of who I am and what I feel is true? Recently, I felt myself very profoundly taken into a deep space of sadness and disconnect around the racial issues that erupted. And I had to really examine it really look at this for myself, for myself as a a human being on our planet, uh, as a minister who is in this teaching, and even look at this as a, uh, how do we respond to this as a church? And it has caused me great introspection and a great deepening of my own self. And and so I was born in a, a smaller town in southwest Colorado. And don't worry, I'm not about to tell you my whole life story, so that's not happening. But just a little portion of it that is related to this subject. And I can tell you that in my childhood, I was born two weeks after President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And I was a very small girl when, uh, when Martin Luther King Jr. was in the civil rights movement. But in this little town where I lived, I don't consciously remember ever meeting uh, a black person. I'm sure there were some citizens of that city that were black, but I don't consciously remember them, meeting them. Now, I have a portion of my family that is of Mexican descent. And some of them were a little more brown-skinned than me. And I remember that they experienced discrimination in that town simply because of their heritage. And as a small child, I couldn't understand that. My little heart just couldn't figure out why it was that someone with a, a name Medrano and certain skin color would be discriminated against. But they were, and it was confusing to me. Uh, My little pure heart just couldn't even comprehend it. When I was six years old, we moved here to Denver, and I began to go to elementary school. And eventually, I was at uh, Sunset Ridge Elementary in Westminster, Colorado for third grade. And it was in the third grade 
that I met Mary Davis. Mary was my very first black friend. And Mary was amazing. I thought when I met Mary for the first time and saw her beautiful dark skin and her amazing smile and her sense of humor and her bright eyes, and she was from the South, so she had an accent which was very different than me, somehow that, that difference between my experience and her was fascinating to me. And I literally thought she was the most beautiful being I had ever laid my eyes on. And she and I had so much fun in school together, laughing and growing and learning and becoming friends and learning about her family and her learning about my family. We were very close. And when I moved away and moved to the other end of town, that's when I lost track of Mary. Because back then, we didn't have cell phones or Facebook or things like that. And we weren't big on little fourth and fifth graders calling each other on the phone all the time, even though we were girls. We did not do that. And so I lost track of Mary. But then it was, as I got into those older grades, that I learned the history of Mary's ancestors. My heart was broken open as I thought about my beautiful friend and thought, her ancestors were forced to come to this country, put into slavery against their will? How could this be? And then I was even more shocked as I realized that as a small child, Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement was happening and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't watch much TV back then other than Batman and Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. Those were my go-to shows, a few cartoons here and there. And my family didn't talk much about it that I recall. And so learning about the civil rights movement and the fight for our black citizens to have greater freedoms, I, I had no clue. And when I learned that, it touched my heart deeply too. I was shocked that this had been going on all the while in, in my country, and I had no clue. And I became a, a fierce advocate for, for the equal rights of everyone, and especially when I came into this teaching, this teaching, this teaching that is rooted in the equality of all beings, that all beings are God, that we either live that and believe that or we don't, and I do. And so this teaching help me see the, the beauty of this. And I began to believe, as many of us did, that we were farther along in our evolution around race relations. I began to believe that, that my friends and, and all of the citizens of our country had greater freedoms. And then recently, we've been confronted with that may not be so true. And we've been confronted with the idea that we individually and collectively need to take a look at the systems that are present in our, our world and our country that continue to not allow absolute freedom and equality for all of our citizens. And so this became important for me to look at. I began to read and watch videos and talk with my friends of all races and talk about these issues. I have felt so nurtured and supported by the talks of my colleagues and the prayers and the conversations that we're having here at Mile High Church. And I realized that, that I had to practice spiritual self-reliance and take these issues into the depth of my spiritual practice in order to get greater clarity. 
and the clarity that I still have and that I still stand with and that we stand with is in partnership with all beings everywhere of all gender identity, of all races, of all socioeconomic backgrounds, of all spiritual backgrounds. We stand with and we see that no matter who anyone is, God is who they are. And we will continue to stand for that and speak to that. And here's where it gets kind of messy sometimes. It has with other issues, and it has with this issue, and it does with a number of the issues we're faced right now, is that people who will hear us take that spiritual stand will say, well, you're being too political. That's too political. And we recognize and acknowledge that some of these issues have been politicized. In re with regards to race relations right now, there's an organization that, that some people support and some people don't called Black Lives Matter. And as a church, we will never tell you how to vote. We will never bring a, a candidate here. We will never take a stand for one political party. And we will never tell you whether or not you should support some political uh, com company or association. But I can tell you that from that high place of spirituality, that phrase, black lives matter, all black lives matter, is squarely in the center of God is all, in all, through all, as all, and we will stand for that. We will continue to evolve and grow. And that is an example for each one of us of when life can get messy and difficult and we can be unsure and we can be tempted into divisiveness. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Fall for love. Fall for oneness. Stand for truth. Stand for health. Stand for connection. Stand for God. This stand is the most resilient stand we can take. Ernest Holmes said to us, Jesus constantly told his followers to be spiritually self-reliant. He told them to take no anxious thought for the morrow because he knew of the possibility, the practicality, and the immediate availability of the activity of the creative spirit. Now, in telling us to take no anxious thought for tomorrow, Jesus did not mean that we are to act in an irresponsible, unintelligent, or chaotic manner. He meant that we are to live this day purposely, actively, creatively, in the calm confidence that such activity will be continued on the morrow and that our faith will make our tomorrows blessed. And because we can rely thoroughly and completely on the availability of the Spirit of God, no problem, no difficulty, no emergency can ever be greater than the power of God on which we may completely rely. I'm inviting us to take this or any issue that has broken open our heart, as, as it has mine, into our prayer life. To consider the questions that Neil Donald Walsh gave to us today about who am I in this? Who do I choose to be? How do I choose to show up? And to take a loving stand for what you believe to be true about God in you as you, as I will do that for myself and as all of us must do in love and respect, even to those who are listening to me right now who may not agree. I hear you, I see you, I love you. We stand together, together we shall rise in resilience. Join me in prayer. And so we take this moment right here and right now 
to just breathe in to the very life that God is. To remember these steps of spiritual self-reliance. To accept that God is truly all there is. God is, is not a person or a personality. God is a presence. God is a principle. God is a light. God is the source. It is the very air we breathe. It is the very essence of all beings everywhere. And we stand together right here and right now in God. Though we may be physically apart from each other, what we know is that this power and this presence that exists everywhere is manifesting itself in, through, and as each one of us. We are that which it is. We feel our heart and our mind accepting now that this God life is activated in us. And it is in our mind and our heart. It is the very word we speak and that we are fashioning our tomorrows from this place. And so here and now in this prayer, I affirm and accept that for each one of us, we are building a world together that is built on strength, spiritual strength, that is built on depth and heart and love and equality and wholeness and on the recognition that all beings everywhere are God in expression. We stand as witness to this and we allow ourselves to take actions and to speak words and to think these highest thoughts that reveal this truth. And therefore, I declare that it is from this place of spiritual self-reliance that we are strong and resilient in solving and moving and evolving through the issues that we face this day in our personal lives and in this collective life we share. We stand for this truth together. And I am so grateful that this is the truth of who we are. I am so grateful to feel and sense this and to speak this forth. And it is in this gratitude that I know that it is done. I can feel the vision of our planet, of our people, of the conditions of our world that calls us to love. I can feel it and I give thanks for it. And I release this prayer absolutely in confidence for I know that as it has been spoken it is so. We let it be, we let it go and so it is. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.